That's what I feel about the market right now. You asked how I feel. That's how I feel. I feel like it feels high. It looks high, but it's probably not as, as high as it feels. The following audios the expressed opinions of the hosts and guests and do not reflect investment advice or recommendations of any kind. All funny jokes or just jokes, so don't get it twisted. Man, things are hot, heating, heating up. And I'm not talking about outside temperature in Austin, Texas, where it's wow. currently 133 degrees. Absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. I am talking about the market. We are seeing some jumps and we are getting into the thick of some q3 earnings right now or i should say q2 earnings but everything being reported right now in july this is getting spicy spicy we're seeing some good old jumps um i know you and i talked about this already Braden, but i've got some i told you so's and, I, and i'm ready it's not necessarily- you, want to, you want to start with the i told you so's no 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 i'm just breaking it down those those are coming in and i'm gonna hit you with, you know, slap your mama hot sauce type of I told you so's, and I'm ready for it. But yeah. markets are booming. Things are really looking up. Um, I did make some predictions, and we'll go back um, what I was initially saying at the beginning of this year, being more optimistic, and you were pessimistic. And uh, this is where I'll give you a little more I told you so. But, dude, tell me what you're thinking today, because you were so excited to hop on this pop. Oh, man. I have a, uh, uh, you know me in the value investor mind. I've learned something about value investors. Um, I'm going to go back real fast to a tweet that got some attention from a few weeks ago. Uh, I tweeted out that I have been writing for a while by hand yeah. for letters. Okay. I wrote, you know, the tweet was basically about how you know, he sounds really brilliant in the most recent letters, but as you go back in time, he sounds less and less brilliant. It's like, oh, there's hope, right? Actually, you do learn things through life. <laughs> you can't just be Warren Buffett tomorrow. Right. Uh, but man, going back to 1957, 1958, 1959, it's just so interesting to see the history of the markets as they move. So I have two things that I want to talk about on on the 50s, markets of the 50s. First is actually not from the letters, but it's from Warren Buffett's 2020 annual meeting, which I've been listening to on walks. Uh, yeah. So 1929 happens. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, that is the index that everybody looks at in 1929. It's like the thing. It's like the S&P 500 today. Yep. Uh, um, it's at 380. Over the period of the next several years, it drops to 41. Okay. 90% of it gone, more than 90%, I think. Um, it does not reach 380 again until 1955. Really? 1954, really. 1955, yeah. So, so I mean, you're talking a almost generation of people or a generation where, where it did not reach its highs again, okay? These people were trained like 1929 was like the scary year, right? Their parents were scared of it. If they were born then, they were scared of it. Like it was a big deal whenever it reached 380 again. Such a big deal that Congress issued a committee to say like, hey, are we about to jump off a cliff again? And yeah. 
put together this special committee, started interviewing people in the market. And one person who was interviewed was the Mr. Benjamin Graham. Uh, of Warren Buffett, who Warren Buffett was working for at the time. And Benjamin Graham had a very famous quote that he said in 1955 at the special committee meeting uh, in front of the Senate. He said, the market looks high, the market feels high, but the market is not as high as it feels. And I think that that is the mantra for value investors. All value investors at all times always feel like the market's too high, the market's too high. There's not enough value there. Um, And that's the way it feels. And that's the way it looks. But I think almost always it is not as high as it feels, even though it is high. So that's what I feel about the market right now. You asked how I feel. That's how I feel. I feel like it feels high. It looks high. But it's probably not as as high as it feels. We recapture it soon as I had to bet. I think we could. And I think it would be a complete overheating because... I don't know. People are just more excited to get back in. Plus, you said this at the beginning of this year, and this is why I thought the market would actually end up 10% up, not I think it's up 17% or the S&P is right now, year to date. But because all the analysts and everybody changed their predictions for what the earnings would be, right? After such a sucky year of 2022. Yeah, everybody lowballed. And so when you beat it, you're like, oh my gosh, look at the earnings per share, look at revenue projections, look at what they're doing. More and more money would come in, right? But it's just, it's cyclical in nature. I also see inflation going down dramatically. And so now I have to hit you with the question, are we going into a recession? I don't know. That's a tough one. Possible. So here's other things to consider. Um... The, I, so this is this is the silly example. In nineteen twenty nine, in nineteen twenty nine, the I didn't give the full story of what happened there in nineteen twenty nine. So the market went from about three eighty. The Dow went from about three eighty to one eighty six. Okay, in thirty. Okay, so this is and this is all Buffett's research just regurgitated. So the day before, the trading day before Buffett was born, August 30th, 1930, August August 5th, 1930, sometime in August, 1930, um, the market is at 186, okay? It proceeds to go up to the high 230s in 1930, 1931, over six months. So it goes up about 20% in six months. Yeah. And it's only after it went up that 20% that it fell all the way back down to 41%. And at that time, nobody thought when it was going back up, nobody thought they were in a depression, right? They really didn't even consider it being a recession. The recession was kind of over. Oh, yeah, bad things happen. That's kind of over. Um, so my only warning there is you never know, right? The, the end of this year, things could go just completely haywire and, and it all fall off a cliff. Now, that being said, there are plenty of other years that have happened more recently. Uh, I think I saw there was a time in 1990 somewhere, as well as in 2000, maybe 19, yeah, around 2000 as well, where the year before the S&P did really, really poorly. That year started off the first half, roughly 30% in the first half. 
and then it ended the year up another 9%. So we could be in for one of those years, right? And just kept on kind of flowing. So it's a toss-up, dude. Who knows where it's going? But I do have one thing that I think is important, is an important shift. Um, and that's the index that's important. The index that matters. So okay. last note on just kind of studying back in the day to now and studying previous letters to now. The Dow Jones Industrial Average used to be the important index. The economy of the United States used to be based on railroads, cars, and manufacturing. So, of course, the industrial index mattered. That's what the economy was based off of. Yeah. Then we get into the S&P 500 era. S&P 500 era, the economy is based on banking, uh, based on external manufacturing, but still selling raw goods, um, energy. It's a kind of a diversified, but still roughly industrial in that sense, but just broader. So the S&P 500 takes over. Do you think that's still the backbone of our economy? Because I'm starting to feel a shift where it's not. And I'm, feel a shift. I'm starting to feel a shift towards tech and with AI and and new different tech developments coming out. And the shift that's, is just now happening in tech. No, I, I think the, not, not in tech necessarily. I think that the broader economy, I think that you're starting to see now more people working in tech than working in any other sector of the economy. And I'm starting to feel like the NASDAQ is probably the true index of where the economy is going and how the economy is doing. Okay, that's interesting. The S&P 500 right now is like the largest uh, category is tech over defensive, industrial, oil. Yeah. No, but it's been that way since the early 2000s. Like that's that's the shift. But you're now saying, okay, the economy itself can be not Dow anymore, maybe not S&P, but more NASDAQ as it's just... But NASDAQ itself is just tech. Informational technology, our economy, digital AI. But the idea is that that is the overwhelming of our economy, overwhelming majority of our economy. And probably the best index moving forward for how the general economy is doing. Hypothesis, but possible. I, I would push back. I, I would say there's still quite a lot of businesses and money that are out there that are not tech focused that would use tech. Obviously, everything is extremely predicated on technology and like how that can advance the business. But like ExxonMobil isn't going anywhere, right? Eli Lilly isn't going anywhere. And those don't fall into the category of tech. Well, Dow Chemical still exists, even though, right, that was like a big thing in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Like just because those companies aren't going anywhere doesn't mean that the direction of those companies represents the direction of the economy anymore, right? Does the direction of Eli Willie's is kind of a different story? Um, does the direction of what? Exxon, Exxon correlate or correspond at all to the direction of the economy, or or does it correlate better than, say, Salesforce? I don't know. Um, but I that's think- a good point. I, I I couldn't say okay, oil and gas may be a direct representation of 
this or that. And I know global economy, it holds a lot more weight. American, right? I see your point for just our country, but global yeah. economy, it's hard to say like, oh yeah, look at all these countries in Africa and Asia. Making Salesforce. <laughs> yeah. Like Salesforce is the direct representation of their economy. No. Um, and there is a difference between the global picture, and but I'm just talking about like if you were to do a U.S.-based portfolio and index yeah. against something, I almost think it's time to start indexing against the NASDAQ. And here's what I just want this in recording because here's where we're going to come back to this. I have not gotten to the shareholder letter where Buffett stops comparing performance to the Dow Jones and starts comparing performance to the S&P 500. And when I get to that letter, I will say, okay, this was the time that the shift happened. What was going on? Why did it matter? And maybe he'll explain it. I don't know. I haven't gotten there. He changes the benchmark though in his letters. Yeah. Yeah. The most recent ones he's comparing to the S&P 500. Oh yeah. I know. Once he's comparing. Like, yeah, I knew he, yeah, he would, but it makes he sense. He compares to the Dow in the early, early age. Cause that's what mattered. Yeah. How so, are the writings that you're doing? You still doing it every morning? Okay. And you yep. post it, you should just repost them on Medium or something. Wait, repost my hand copying his stuff? Yeah. Why would I repost like pictures of it or what? What do you mean? Or are you handwriting it out like pen and paper? I'm handwriting it. Yeah, on pen and paper. Yeah, I'm not typing it. Typing it doesn't help. Handwriting is where you really get a, uh, dip a different type of learning. Okay. So. That's no, I would, I would, I would post pictures of it. I think it'd be cool every now and then just to like a medium article. I thought about posting like a gif of it, right? I don't even know if you can see this, but no, I could see it slightly. Yeah. So I, I post, I would post that on medium or something yeah. people would what if, be interested. And then no, you have enough of it now to where it's like, oh, I'm not just starting, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think. Yeah, you learned a lot, man. It's a true history lesson. So uh, those are two of my big takes. Um, I don't know, man. And if like, let's let's look at it this way. I think what would be interesting is to see the Nasdaq's obviously smoking it right now. Yep. Uh, does the economy follow suit? That will be it. I couldn't tell you. Um, I think it, it's just hard to pick, right? There's just so many things that could go off or wrong with different businesses to say like, okay, that'll be the direction of the economy. Because technically you can make the argument, the economy and the stock market are not correlated, right? So then you can't say any company or stock is a direct representation of the economy. Sometimes you'll notice, okay, the economy is slipping or interest rates are crazy and then the stock market pulls back. But my argument is they're somewhat related, but they're not correlated perfectly is what I would argue. Mm -hmm. But someone just picking something out of that, who knows, right? But today, if you were just looking at different companies, trying to do valuations, understanding growth or where companies are moving, I just want to give myself a big fat high five. Today is July 18th. Microsoft this morning was actually down about, you know, 0.6%. And currently it is up 5.23%. Is it really? I have been <laughs> waiting for Microsoft to drop for so long. Like 
you know, decent amount, more than 0.01, 0.03%, right? So I saw that this morning, bought it for a bunch of accounts. It's up 5%. There you go. I mean, if you are doubting the power of technology and AI, then great. I mean, good luck. <laughs> yep. That's insane. Microsoft, like the second biggest company in the world, just up 5% in That's one insane. day. In one day, I think, let me pull it up. Yeah, it's all time high was 339. It's at 364 right now. Yep. I mean, it's disgusting just how how large it's gotten. Like, let's take it from, and this will kind of transition us into like the beginning of this year. Okay. So year to date, Microsoft, that's terrible. It's only up 52%. Microsoft, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Like, come on. Like, one of the biggest, biggest companies, even if they have a good year, 52% is insane. To Let me let me highlight that again. To put that into perspective, right, 2020 was crazy year. Everything shifted into tech because of COVID. It went up 36%. What was 2021's return? 2021's return, 43%. Yeah. That's 2021, I think, was really the year for all today. 20, yeah. 2022, huge drop, right? Went down significantly. 28%. That's pretty wild. And then this year, like I said, oh, I misspoke. It's up 61, almost 62% this year. Yep. That scares me. That kind of tells me it may be too hot or a little hot, or maybe it's right back on track to like, what if this happened? What if it overtook Apple? Yeah. Like Apple took over in 2008 and then Microsoft reclaims the throne. Yep. One in the world. It could do sure It's not, I'm sure they're not far from, uh, what is the value? I guess it's a $5 trillion company is Saudi Aramco. Right? How big is Saudi Aramco? They're the biggest in the world. Let's see. That'll pull up for me. Microsoft is 2.7. Isn't Saudi Aramco the biggest one? No, I think it's still Apple. Apple's three. Microsoft's 2.7 trillion. But anyway, Microsoft, huge, huge jump. Okay. And to paint the picture, I know we talked about this earlier too, but did you see Charles Schwab this morning? I have not looked at Charles Schwab. No. They finally went from everybody unreasonably selling it off. No, still, still not officially recovered, but they got hit so hard with the bank run of 2023, right? It fell from 76 all the way down to like the initial one was like $51. And then it kept falling all the way through May into like the $47 range. Okay. Today it is up 13%. And it climbed from that May low, like 47 to today. It's up 39% in that short amount of time. Okay. Makes sense. Also, on down feel good about that one that feels great 
I mean, you just, the underlying fundamentals and the numbers, like the cash they have on hand, it's insane, you know? Yeah. So I have one that you may not have been looking at, uh, that has interested me. I, I, man, I was so mad that I couldn't, I, I was buying at like six bucks, seven bucks. Cause I was just like, this is stupid that it's this low like this. Um, so you know about my failed experiment into buying hard asset Bitcoin miners. Sure. Uh, the failed experiment was I thought that they were correlated with the price of Bitcoin because they were for a very long time. Yeah. Bitcoin gets kind of low at 17, 18 um, whenever I decided to buy these things because the price of the miners were significantly lower than than they should have been based on that correlation. Right. And even though Bitcoin continued to make steady kind of small recoveries and even just kind of stay steady in price, the miners continued to fall made no sense. The dis the disconnect made absolutely zero sense. Riot mining. Riot mining made it all the way down to three dollars a share. Just continued to get trampled. Even while Bitcoin was yeah. rising. Even while Bitcoin was rising. And even throughout the first part of this year. And riot mining is now up what, four hundred percent, I believe, on the year? Is it final finally recorrected? to where it probably should be based on the recovery of Bitcoin. That's and they're not only one, all of the Bitcoin miners in the last, I think literally two or three weeks up around 300% or more, all of them. So finally those Bitcoin miners, right? So much operational leverage, so much going into them. And they just continued to build, 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 even while Bitcoin was down. They've, they've seen their recovery. Wow. Good, good for Riot, you know? Isn't you that crazy? I, it makes sense. I mean, it's just, it's a complete overcorrection and it's just such a small cap stock that you could have a turnaround. Buying Riot when it's like $3 a share is absolutely one of the most terrifying things you could do. So buying this other stock that I said, hey, yeah. this is stupid how low it is. $3 a share, beginning of this year talked about it on the pod numerous times we even threw the title uh, one of our titles included this stock this stock is up 780 percent Ooh, that's fat 780 percent you ready for the big vial of i told you so spicy sauce that is coming your way get it it's carvana carvana has some of the worst fundamental metrics i've seen at the end of this year but it did not have a price that reflected like truly what the company was worth at all at the end of last year. Do you but think the price today reflects what it's worth? I I still almost think it's worth zero. I have investments in it because yeah, we talked about I bought it at 17 and I'm like, oh, okay, 40, I'll ride that. Um, but I think the company might still be worth zero. I don't know. I'll push back. I don't yeah. think it's worth zero. I think it is now way overvalued for what it should be, but I had it at, you know, probably 12 to $15 a share. Like it's a market cap of 7.3 and I have it near like just under a billion for like what it actually has. But I mean, it was garbage 
Yeah. But it was undervalued. Why do you think it's undervalued? What's your rationale there? What makes it undervalued? Why does it actually have value to it? Okay. Um, Operationally, what they had going for them in 2020 and 2021, they did what every other tech company did. They overhired. They still have way more sales than any other dealership or comparable in the country. Transactions wise, I'm not just saying like volume and money because that's it too, but I'm just saying number of transactions and their competitors like Vroom, horribly worse, a fraction of the amount of transactions. So their brand share is why I think it was undervalued because people still use Carvana. Yeah. Because their transactions did significantly slow down, but it slowed down from an also macroeconomic event. People stopped buying and selling used cars. Yeah. Throughout 2022, it stopped. And they quintupled their workforce in 2020, 2021, and half of 2022. And the stock dropped like a rock because they just were spending way too much. And then bankrupt. They They were showing the path. I don't know if they're still on the path of bankruptcy. I haven't looked at their financial. Slightly. Slightly. I, I, I would still say they're like $15, $20 share company. I will emphatically brag that I have held and have recently sold some because this puppy popped up 13% today and it's at 41 yeah. this share. Did it really? I, I yeah. thought I saw that it was 40 because 37 or something. Nice. Look at that. What a yes. Piece. For everyone listening, this could still be the quote unquote GameStop. It could shoot up to 100. Good. It could shoot up to 300 because I would like to remind the entire world that at one point it was $361 a share and then it fell it's the short squeeze though that's really driving it like let's be honest it's the insane amount of short interest because everybody thinks that it's going bankrupt which they could be right if they are right it's technically worth zero but the market does not like short interest they don't No, they'll, they'll short squeeze the heck out of it. And I'll let everyone know on this call, I believe, and this is not investment advice whatsoever, it is overvalued right now. But if you got in December 31st and you've held it to today and you're up 780%, you're probably pretty happy. You don't care what the company's actually valued. So take that with a grain of salt. Go high five everyone. Realize that if you just put one percent into Carvana at the beginning of this year, uh, you make it look like a chump. You're happy. That's true. That's true. Yeah, just one percent. Anyway, that's that's the rant. I I think it's you know nothing solid sounding outside of what it has. Like I said earlier, brand recognition, market share, and then it's just crushing competitors. But its financials are still garbage. While we're on brand recognition of game-changing technologies, there's one that I've gotten very interested in lately for a very specific reason, Zillow. Obviously, everybody loves Zillow. Everybody uses Zillow all the time, right? Way better. What is the competitors? Redfin Redfin and uh, Open Door, maybe, and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Zillow, Zillow owns the brand. What are you, what are you about to say? No, no, no. Keep going. I, I'll let you get oh. finish the thought. Here's what got me very intrigued about Zillow. Uh, I, 
I, I already was kind of intrigued by them. I mean, they've they've gotten beat up. But my wife, Megan, got on Zillow the other day and there was a brand new feature. And she said, hey, did you know that Zillow is offering mortgages directly from their platform? Are they? I was like, oh, no. Okay, it jumped on it. That was like the one thing that I thought, how, why weren't they doing this? What are they doing? So I was like, oh, that makes them a different business, especially if they're holding those themselves. Now they're like a mortgage re or a mortgage company, which is a, on top of a tech platform to feed them business. It's like, as if, um, upstart became a bank and it's like, whoa, then the competition just like really gets smoked. Like who's ever going to go to a mortgage broker and buy a mortgage from a different company. If Zillow's just right there, you know, yeah. um, dominance on dominance on dominance if that works out and and is what i think it is so i tried to look for company releases and information i couldn't find anything on it but megan showed me the thing and i was like wow it, okay. i mean if they do if they do stuff like that lending tree like all of these online brokers i don't i don't think necessarily the ones that are physical and they have relationships and customers are they're gonna get hurt but it's it's hard to say like oh let me get my mortgage and everything set up through Zillow, unless Zillow really starts to capture the entire process. And they might. I don't know how far in the process they go. Okay, so there is this thought, and this kind of gave me what Zillow is now doing. I need to go look into that exactly. I had no idea they launched that yeah. product or that you know mortgage piece. But MFM they they brought this up I think early this year of that's going to be a huge trend of people buying a house start to finish on Zillow. Yeah. Yes. Why, why can't you? It is one and of the gonna own that. largest purchases of your life, buying a home. You can do it repeatedly, though. But why isn't it start to finish? Let me take you through it. You could do it with cars on Carvana, and it's delivered right to you. So, boom, plug in for Carvana again. But why isn't it there for homes? And it's kind of this scary to do that with $500,000. But if Zillow shows you, and here's where Zillow can actually make their money crazy. If they show you not just getting the mortgage through Zillow, but they show you other options and you could still choose those. And then Zillow gets a cut anyway from them. They just broker it. They just become the mortgage broker. Yeah. They don't have to be the bank. They can just be the mortgage broker. Yeah. Which I think they might be doing. And then. They collect all the information, do the information collecting. They do all of that. And, oh, man, it makes it so seamless. You sign all the docs and everything through Zillow. Um, Yes, it's going to, that disrupts a very, very, very large industry. And they are the name in that industry. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, Zillow's making moves. Time to dig in. Yeah. by a little piece, I said, okay, I need to start watching this. Um, this I mean, you've hit on this already. They're the name already. Yeah. The branding, it's hard to get a moat in any industry, niche, whatever. Branding helps dramatically with a moat. You see people constantly talking about Zillow. It is a moat. It's a moat. It's a unique name. It's great branding. It's great user experience. 
I honestly like using it more than like Realtor or Redfin or things like that. Redfin's even, hey, let me help you sell your house for 1% and it's, you know, save yourself on the commissions and the fees. But if Zillow starts to take a piece of that too with the mortgage and they literally do start to finish and they save you 6% commission, that's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Or they could just broker out the realtors. Like, hey, this realtor will sell your home for- That's what they do now. They do that now, right? If you contact on a house or something, they hook you up with a local realtor that's listed on that house. That's fine, but it'd be much better if it was just straight up like we own the process. Um, And the best thing about it, right? The reason the brand matters there, which brand is a moat, right? And the reason the brand matters there is- you can list your house on Zillow or on Redfin, right? Let's say Zillow makes an exclusive thing. You're like, you can't have it on multiple platforms. So which are you going to choose? Zillow, where everybody looks all the time, or Redfin, where only people look whenever they're like super, super into looking, right? Zillow, I check Zillow sometimes. I don't even care about like residential real estate stuff but i'll just like be like oh yeah i'm just gonna i'm bored like let's see what's on zillow around me why and why do you do that just for fun yeah but it's like there's just something about it where i don't know i i love it it's window shopping on steroids you can go through all these pictures you can see how cool they are there's something and that's the entire reason hgtv exists as a channel it's why there's so many TikTok accounts and Instagram real accounts and all this stuff about house flipping and nice looking houses and Netflix shows about what's it called? Selling sunset, like these huge homes, like people love looking at massive. They do. They do. Megan does it all the time. Oh, look, check out this mansion in Nebraska or in Alaska or in Washington. And I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, our, our like, good friend Millennium Moron made his entire account that way because he was able to find super unique, not on Zillow, but super unique European castles for the same price as all these random spots in Toronto or or on Zillow, Canada. So, anyway, that's a uh, and the the brand is just big, dude. I mean, I don't know if it's quite as strong as Coke, but you know, the brand becomes a moat whenever you say the brand but mean the object, right? So you're at a, uh, you're at a sporting event and you're like, Hey, I want a Coke. And you don't really mean like, I want a Coca-Cola. You're just saying like, Hey, I want to go and like, maybe I'll get a Sprite or a dark pepper or something. But, but there are people in the world that are just like, Hey, can I get a Coke? Can I get a, it's a, uh, it's just interesting when people start, there's another, there's gotta be another, or like zoom, right? Uh, when people say they want to get on an online meeting, they just go, Hey, can we do a zoom? But it could be a Google. It could be whatever. They just yeah. So when the brand replaces the name of the thing, that's where the mode is. And I don't know if that's true for Zillow yet, but. No, but I mean, the opportunity, yeah, is there. I think that's the drastic thing that sets companies apart is the only thing that I've actually seen or cared about is execution. Yeah. Like we can hypothesize and talk through these product ideas all day long. It is truly the execution of that product to see if it takes off. I.e. threads versus Twitter, right? Like if the idea itself is there that is, you know, not a lot of people just like reading and scrolling, 
threads won't really work. If threads takes over, it's because Instagram and Facebook's team is much better than Twitter's. Yep. They just executed. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's one that I'm very intrigued in. I think that there's a lot of room to grow. A lot of room to grow. Okay. I I like it. Let's dig into some Zillow numbers. Staying on the topic of real estate. I don't know if you saw this story. Man, it's just uh, so surprising to hear that someone on some commercial real estate crowdfunding platform just ripped off $54 million. <laughs> All of these people. Crowdfunding. But that's funny. Not Crowd funny. Street. It's not funny. CrowdStreet is one of these platforms where you verify your investment. You have to do all this stuff. There's compliance, due diligence, everything. Somebody somehow raised $54 million on this. And the majority of that, gone, vanished. I mean, come on. So I uh, let's see if I can bring it up. So the group is called Nightingale. And the CEO and his affiliates are basically like, oh yeah, we just don't know where that money is. And so they're all going to jail. <laughs> Something's going to happen. And CrowdStreet, people are bashing CrowdStreet because they're yeah, like, CrowdStreet's a big loser there. Yeah, they How did you not verify? But also, these people just threw their money at something on CrowdStreet. It's amazing how trust just like, people just like open up their bank account. And they're like, yeah, sure, take yeah. it all. Here you go. Yeah. CrowdStreet, in this sense, is like an investment advisor of like proving, you know, credibility validation for this Nightingale group. Yeah. Oh, the to raise $54 million is bonkers to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's really their fault. It's just insane how CrowdStrike will become the scapegoat, but it's really their fault. Like, if you're going to make an investment, you should be confirming. It's just like the, I think we've talked about the Kevin O'Leary thing or whatever, not confirming that FTX even had a CFO, right? Like he just like other people were in it. So he was like, okay, those smart people are in it. I'll go in it. And social proof. Yeah. Insane. Absolutely insane. I wonder if, and I, I'm just going to say this on the podcast and we'll keep it in or maybe work with it. If there's a way. That you can like, obviously, financial advisors can now show testimonials and things like that. But is there a way to do it like in a gamification way where, or just a self-promotion or promotory way that CrowdStreet did it? Where it's like, hey, these 40,000 people uh, invested into this. And so you're literally seeing different investments and the number of people and the amount raised. So you're like, oh, there's no way 40,000 people got it wrong, right? And then they they put money in because of, once again, social proof. But can you, you probably can't do that as a financial advisor on your website. I mean, you could you, I mean, you technically can say like, hey, we have this many people that we help invest and we have this much AUM. Right? You can brag about that. You're asking if you can take advantage of your social proof. People definitely can take yes. advantage. You can talk about how much AUM you have, whatever's in your ADV, right? Whatever you report in your ADV. You, and how investors you report in your ADV. You can do that for sure. 
Okay. Do I recommend it? But there's a way there's a way to be like, where where's the line? You know? Because what I have in my head, and I and I thought through this, it's like, okay, gather your testimonials, kind of put things together, reviews wise, like that that does help. Like that is quote unquote social proof. Yeah. But if you really played it out, you'd be like, hey, we serve this many investors. We have this much under AUM. And then here's one to two sentences from all these different clients. Yeah. Right. And then it's like a gallery and you could just like scroll through it. And then people are like, okay, this, I mean, social proof, this guy, Connor, he's, he's gotta be great. He's gotta be brilliant. Right. But in my head, I'm like, it's self-promoting sort of like crowd street. So I wonder what that, that line is on the, not a problem at all. As long yeah. as you have no information, you can do that all you want. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, I'm just trying, trying to think of just the, the best ways that it can be serviced. Okay. It's great. It's it really is. good. Um, uh, that's sad. On the, can we talk about real estate for a minute? Because I know oh, I've sure. this call and I've, I've gone backwards on this call and it's because I've just realized that the world works and it, sometimes it's funny because you get very theoretical and you know you're right, but you're wrong. And this is one of those instances. Commercial real estate, commercial real estate crash. It's so stupid. So people calling for a crash in commercial real estate and a lot of chaos on the commercial real estate front. I think that they are missing a lesson from the housing crisis, 2008, 2009. 2008, 2009, all the chaos happens. All the mortgages are going underwater. That At that time, it would have been reasonable to be like, things are going to get chaotic. Things are bad. But then, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, are you familiar with extend and pretend? Um, is that a basketball move? I have no idea. Oh, no. This is what the administration in that time, the Obama administration encouraged for banks. They called it extend and pretend policy. And basically what they did was they told the banks, they just said, hey, foreclosing is just going to cause a big domino effect chaos problem. Why don't you just extend the notes and pretend like nothing's wrong? And they did that. And that's a lot of how people got under out from underwater by just rebuilding confidence and rebuilding stuff. Um, I saw a tweet the other day from a guy who's in commercial real estate. And he said, I have a buddy whose balloon payment was due and the bank just extended him six months with no extra interest or anything. And you know what that reminded me of? Extend and pretend. And so I think that regardless of how rational it is for there to be a crash in that space and how needed it is for there to be a crash in that space, this new extend and pretend policy that was created during the great financial crisis uh, is a new tool that it doesn't matter what the numbers say. There are people involved. And as long as there are people involved, there are things that can happen that aren't related to the actual underlying fundamentals. And so I am taking back my call on commercial real estate crisis, at least one as big as I thought it would be. And I think that extend and pretend policies will have a huge impact over the next six months to a year. I think with technology where it's at and the ability to see actual metrics for a lot of these deals, even compared to 2008, right? 
you can easily start to create a line. Yeah. Everyone above this line, extend and pretend. And then everyone below. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, They're going to, there's going to be a pretty defined line. Yeah. And these guys are just toast. And it'll just limit us so that there's not a bunch of panic and it's all looks kind of normal for a normal kind of recession. And we move forward. Not even, not even, yeah, normal kind of recession. I I think it's just going to be, yeah, I got this type of loan and this is what he did. And everyone else with similar loan, but you know, better, they'll be like that idiot. Yeah. What was he thinking? Yep. And they just happen to get a better deal, terms, rate, you name it. And that's the reason why they're alive. And that other yep. person. It's uh so it's gonna be interesting. Um, but I am taking back my negative pessimistic viewpoint only because I still think it's rational for it to happen. I still think it's rational for commercial real estate to have a huge collapse. But as all these balloon payments come up, I think that there's going to be a lot of, that's okay. We'll just extend it out a little bit and pretend yeah. it's wrong. So, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think it's spot on. Um, so for those listening, obviously we now in this podcast love this so much, break down these different investments. Of course, you're going to see things on CrowdStreet. You're going to see things on different marketplaces, whatever. It's emailed to you. Um, please take it all with a grain of salt. It could crash and burn. Every, uh, all investments have some. Uh, be some careful. Yes. Be, be careful. Um, and then transitioning to one of the finer and most fun topics is the new little tool that I found and now I use religiously to help run my business and then do everything. And of course it's a software company and they're not taking any more funding. So this thing, this is dude, I'm shocked with this. So, you know, Calendly, how you can like click set a time. Do you know that there's this competitor called me to N E E T O me to.io or something. Maybe I think it might even be.com like, they're balling. Um, yeah, it is .com. But you can create unlimited forms. You can create unlimited calendar settings. You can do website help interaction. And you might be like, what is that? And I'm going to tell you, it is this little bubble that sits on your website. And people come, they click, they can ask a question. Yeah. I am blown away. I set it up on my website. It took me less than five minutes. I integrated it into my Slack. And so now every time someone may ask me a question, I'll get a Slack message and then I can just reply from Slack. Nice. How do you, uh, how do you mean website? Is your website, uh, hosted on Squarespace or what? No, that. Yeah. So it was easy to integrate with Squarespace. Well, yeah, you just drop the embed code onto, um, you know, whatever page or pages on your website. So you create a little embed block and then you don't see it. But that's easy to integrate. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. So if I'm walking around and it'll notify me on my phone via Slack, like, hey, someone asked this question, I can answer it. Now you might be like, oh, that's great. But what if there's just so many people asking you questions? And I'm going to tell you, my virtual assistant will answer all of them and they will be tasked with just always monitoring and being on Slack. Nice. Good question. 
Very nice. Yeah. Do you know how expensive it is for someone, uh, you know, not in the U.S. to just be on Slack and add them as a Slack user? Got to be nothing. Yeah, it's free. It's crazy. So. It checks out. There are ways to the game. So this little Me Too software just found it. I think it's incredible. Uh, Excited to see what I can actually do. If I can integrate multiple calendars into this, and then have it all set up so it like books the appointments and then I'm always on. I I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna be so happy. But Connor, know what you're the the opportunity you're missing. Before giving these shout outs, these free shout outs to these companies, we need to be reaching out to them. You need to be reaching out to them before the pod for your own little uh That's true. Affiliate code and then putting it in the show notes. Yeah. Everybody, if you want to go type in Baskets Capital for a promo code. Um, it won't do anything because all these tools are free. They upcharge you on changing if you get to a certain metric, but it's really hard to get to. So that's also why I like this and don't know exactly how they may start actually making they won't they won't be free forever. You know how it goes. Yeah, they won't be free forever. They're like, oh, sorry. Now it's great money. So just tell them that I told you first and we're good. Um yeah. Tell them Connor sent you. Oh yeah. And um, that's all I got, man. So felt cool. pretty good. There's a few other stocks. There's some other things that could have covered. Save, but... save it for next time. I got plenty that we can talk about next time. So yeah, appreciate everybody listening. You guys are the best. We're getting to actually quite a lot of listeners, so this is fun. And if you have questions, if you want to talk, you can reach me on the website. That's fun. Or you could just text seven three seven two one zero three zero five four. Shout out to the website. Yeah. Right. Thank you.